0: Join the guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting MaxLawEvents.com.
1: They should be thinking about building a relationship and building a connection to those clients, really almost to the point of friendship. Now you're obviously not gonna be friends with every single client, but the more you build that connection between you and your client when they are your client, that's gonna help you in the long run. Run your law firm. The right, the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I am Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing, man? Tyson, I'm excited for us to be recording another episode. It seems like it's been a while. We had a bunch in the can and we've depleted our supply. I think we're down to one left, so it's time to start recording. Time to start spreading the message, spreading the love here in 2017. We've been real happy to have some fantastic guests, but some of my favorite episodes are the ones where it's just you and me.
2: Yeah, and this is our first episode we are actually recording in 2017. The first episode of 2017 was John Fisher, which I thought was a fantastic way to start the new year, but this is the first time we're recording in 2017. We got past the holidays, and I agree with you. I enjoy recording these podcasts with you. We love having guests too, but it's it's a lot of fun because I feel like we can dig a little deeper sometimes whenever it's just me and you. So I think today's a pretty good episode. I think a lot of people are getting a lot of good takeaways from it.
1: Yeah, and before we get to it, I want to get to one thing. Now, you and... Amy and the kids just got back from Disney World. And I know that when I went to Disney World, the two times we went with the kids, that I spent a lot of time just sort of watching the customer service aspect of things. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but did you have that sort of mindset going in? Were you observing the ways that the people that work at Disney sort of interacted with you? And can you talk a little bit about that?
2: That was the thing I was the most excited about. And the reason why is because since we went to that GKIC event with Dan Kennedy, and Dan Kennedy talked about the Disney experience... I've been looking forward to it ever since then. And that was two years ago or three years ago. I can't remember. I focused the entire time on it. And I will tell you, I was a little disappointed because I was told so much about how great it was. The customer service was going to be in some instances, it was fantastic. In some instances, it was very bad. But I will tell you, I was there during the busiest time of the year, the two busiest days of the year I was there. And I guess I'll give them a little bit of slack because of that, because I know it was so just jam-packed with people. I think that the, a lot of the employees were really stressed out. The thing I was the most impressed about is just how everything was just systemized and there was a just a process for everything. So I was in awe of the process. I wasn't necessarily in awe of the customer service aspect, but like I said, the days where it was less busy, it was it was far better. The days it was really really busy, I just think employees were just super stressed. So I, I, it was a great time either way. I mean it's it, it's a great experience, and if you haven't been to Disney World, I I highly recommend it.
1: It's an interesting proposition because I think they do have fantastic systems, and that's sort of one of the things we admire about them and that we've enjoyed. I do think that you know systems are tested at their weakest time, and if it's their busiest time, then I understand why you're giving them a pass, but I guess they'd be disappointed to hear that that's sort of how you felt about it. I think it's a lesson t- to us as lawyers that, you know, with everything that we do that we are presenting and putting on a performance in a lot of ways of trying to make our client satisfied with the results that they get and you know, that there is a little bit of showmanship to it. But if you fall apart at the crucial time, that's a real problem.
2: I'll give you just one example of the first day is we were first going to the park and I'd never used one of the scanners. So you scan your magic band and then you put your fingerprint on this little scanner. I didn't know how to use that. And so I put my magic band in the wrong spot and the lady literally says to me, what are you doing? Just like as rude as can be, (laughs) and that was my first experience entering the park, right? So that's the very first person I talked to entering the park, and she was so rude to me. And they kind of started off from there, and that kind of colored my perspective for that day. And so I was very surprised by that because I'd always been told by how friendly they were and how wonderful the staff was and how helpful they were.
1: Wow. I only expect that at Six Flags. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. All right, well, let's get to our topic of the day. Which is a pretty good one. All right, so I had an interesting experience last week that I thought I would share with our listeners, and I thought that it's instructive for the kinds of things that we talk about. You know, So one of the things that you and I both preach is follow up with clients after they've hired us and then after we're done with their transaction. And I think that a lot of lawyers fall into a bad habit or a trap of just looking at the hiring by a client of us as a transaction that has a beginning and an end and that instead they should be thinking about building a relationship and building a connection to those clients really almost to the point of friendship now you're obviously not going to be friends with every single client but the more you build that connection between you and your client when they are your client that's gonna help you in the long run and here's sort of an example of what happens. so we had a a fellow come to see us um, about a month ago and he decided to hire us to apply for his citizenship. And the first time I met with him, he had sort of a strange story about how he got his green card and it didn't really make a lot of sense. He had his green card, so I didn't really have to worry about it. But when he came back to actually get started on his case, we sat down and we talked through his case and it turns out that he was from the former Yugoslavia and he had come to the United States from over there long ago, and he had received asylum in the United States, but he wasn't really sure, and he was not a very good explainer or historian as to how he had come to be here. So when we sat down to talk about his whole immigration history, it turns out that he remembered losing his asylum case at the immigration court, and then he remembered later on that they they lost again on paper. That's the way he explained it to us. And then he told us that one time he and his attorney went downtown to St. Louis and they sat before three judges. And to me, that could only mean that he had gone to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, which I don't know if you know this, Tyson, but it's historically one of the most anti-immigrant, conservative, pro-government courts of appeals in the country, if not the most. I've been tracking immigration cases for quite some time now, and I think they're on like 270 cases in a row where they've ruled in favor of the government and against the immigrant. So I was really surprised to hear him say that he had gone to the panel of the three judges. He actually said four judges, but he meant three. And so I'm sitting there and I decide to Google his name and immigration. And lo and behold, he has a reported case and lo and behold, in, in addition, he and his attorney had won a case at the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is, as I said, almost unheard of. And not only did they win at the Eighth Circuit, where the Eighth Circuit said that the immigration judge down below had made a mistake, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals went ahead and ruled in favor of the immigrant. That is, they reversed the immigration judge, which you hardly ever see any Court of Appeals do, much less the Eighth Circuit. So I knew his attorney who handled it because he was listed in the opinion. So in every sense of the word, the attorney had gotten a tremendous, tremendous result for this young man. An amazing job. That's, yeah, absolutely. It's really a miracle that this fellow was sitting across from me, having gotten his green card four and a half years ago through the legal brilliance of this attorney. And so part of me was like, dude, why are you sitting across from me? Why are you not talking to your old attorney now? In theory, he could maybe owe his old attorney money. So that might be the one reason I could think of. But I don't think that's the case. I think that what the situation is, is that the attorney um, lost contact with this guy. In fact, when we first started talking, believe it or not, this client didn't remember the name of the attorney who literally saved him from deportation at about the last hour. I mean, the only stop after the Eighth Circuit, of course, is the Supreme Court, and they take two immigration cases a year. So this was really a remarkable situation. But the attorney, while obviously a very intelligent and clever litigator and brief writer and person arguing cases, it seemed that he had dropped the ball when it came to follow-up In that this person, when we first started out, didn't even remember his name. And so I felt sort of bad for that attorney. And I wanted to make sure that I mentioned it on our podcast so that we could talk about it. And then I knew that this was going to be our topic for today. I was down at immigration yesterday and I walk out of an interview with a client who's been out of status for a really long time, but who had his entire family get immigration status and they all have lawful permanent resident status. And he was the last one to go through the process. he just married a U.S. citizen. And so we came out of his interview and he turned, I, I turned and I saw that attorney who argued the case at the Eighth Circuit and he was there. And I said hello to him and I shook his hand as I always do. And as we're walking away, my second client turns to me and he says, yeah, that's the guy that got our whole family green cards. <laughs> oh my gosh, what? So here we have concrete proof of the things that we say on this podcast all the time. That lawyers can be the best litigators, you know, whatever kind of case or matter type, whatever type of attorney, they can be the absolute best, but if they aren't following up with their clients, they're really missing out on an opportunity. So I wanted to tell that story and then I thought we could talk about it. Those are both incredible stories. What I'm saying is is that if he had a system in place where he consistently kept in contact with prior clients, those clients would have been his for these subsequent immigration matters, not me, you know, in immigration, we have that virtuous cycle where someone comes and gets a visa and then they get a green card, they get lawful permanent resident status, or then they get their citizenship and then they can sponsor other people. And so in my practice area, if you keep in contact with people, that's a really good thing because they're either going to refer you other cases or they're going to come back to you for repeat business and so you know I've been in that situation before a long time ago I went down to immigration and I saw one of my old clients with another attorney and it burned my ass and I swore to myself that I was going to do everything I could, that that did not happen again. I
2: was a little confused. So these are people, I mean, it was his failure, obviously, not to follow up. But These people had just entered your funnel. They had not, it's not like they've been in your funnel for a while though, right? You, you, they
1: had just come to you. No, 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 no. These are all people that have hired me in the last two months.
2: Okay. Or Well, then let's talk about this. Let's talk about some of the things that you and I do as follow up, as aftercare or whatever you want to call it in the after unit that would keep yourself in front of these people so that they know who you are. I know one of your, your main ones are, but I'm gonna let you tell people what you do to stay in front of people. And then I'll talk about some of the things I do to stay in front of people so that people
1: don't forget your name. I think the other thing is that you really have to start not in the unit, you know, but I think you continue to market to your clients while you're representing them. You know, For sure. during that period between when they've hired you and when you're done with their matter, you know, you are their only lawyer. You are their only point of contact with the legal field. You're the only person that they're interacting with. And for me, it's a year. And for you, it's probably close to a year. So, you know, you want to be regularly communicating to them, not just about their case, but about what it is that you do so that they understand you know all the kinds of things that you do so for instance in your situation i could see where someone hires you to do a car accident they might not necessarily know that you do criminal work or that you do other kinds of lawsuits so that i think that during that time period that you're their attorney that you can be educating them on the kinds of other things that you do in a non-salesy way just sort of an informational way and then that should just continue after you're done with them i think that other things that are important are you know, really making sure that the people know that you care about them, that you're invested in their success, not just in this one little particular matter. I think one really important tip is to to set it up so that if any kind of legal help, if they think about a lawyer, they call you first and that they think, well, if I need a tax attorney, I know Tyson doesn't do tax, but he'll probably be able to help me down the line if I need a tax attorney. So I think that's really important.
2: I think what you're saying is true. And now since I've been Getting out of criminal more and more, i I don't really necessarily want my clients to know that, but I know what you're saying. if you do other practice areas, you want to make sure you educate them very, very early on before infusion saw before I had any advanced systems, before, very, very, very beginning. what I did was my way of doing that was on my letterhead. I on the side I had this really interesting looking letterhead where they had you know the address and all that at the top, and then it had a little thing at the bottom and then but on the left side, it says, it listed my practice areas. And the reason why I did that is so that it stood out. Yeah, I mean, you don't normally see something on the left side of a letterhead. So you saw it, and so I people did see that, and it did work. So that's an idea people could use if you want to let people know about your other practice areas, but really what I do is I try to become that hub like what you're talking about. That's why I do the Monday Q&A. People can submit their questions no matter on any practice area to me and I'll find the answer for you and I'll I'll give three of the answers every Monday. That's a way for them to come to me and be that hub. No matter what, I can find an attorney for them and I can give them to my referral partners and refer them out. You definitely want to be that hub. Even if it's you filtering other cases, it's still nice for you to be the hub for people to come to. But the other part of it is just staying in front of them. I had a conversation with a really good friend of mine. He's a criminal defense attorney just yesterday, and it was really interesting that he says he doesn't send letters to clients. And I said, "What?" He said, "Yeah, I don't send. I don't see the point in it." And I and I said, "Well, from a marketing standpoint, you should send them letters. Uh, just just get staying in front of them. I mean, just." We make sure at a minimum, one letter a month goes out to our clients, and that's at a very minimum. And As you know, there are automated emails and phone calls and letters that they get on top of that. I mean, we just have a standard one-month letter that goes out no matter what. In injury stuff, that letter is usually just a medical update letter. Give us an update on your treatment status, and they can fill out the form at the bottom, sign it and check it, put in an envelope that we give them. I mean, that's something very, very basic. And they get letters on top of that. But on a criminal standpoint, I mean, you can give some of the letters that we send out, we give them what to wear when you go to court. Another letter that they get from us is just a a copy of the statutes for the charges that they've been charged with. Just Those are just basic letters that you can send out to clients. Do you need to send them? No. I would argue that... From a, a legal standpoint, it's probably best for you to send them the statutes that they're charged with, um, but 99% of attorneys don't. But from a marketing standpoint, they appreciate that, they see you, and they're constantly seeing letters from you, and in their mind, you are their number one case. Um, that's not that's not true, but you are constantly in front of them, and that's what you wanna be. You don't want them to forget you. You want to, them to think, hey, this person's working on my case, they're, they're diligently working on my behalf, and 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 that way, they if they've got another case that comes in, or if someone asks them, "Hey, who's your attorney? Who do you recommend?" They know who you are, and so there's plenty of ways that you educate your client throughout the process, and that's what you should be focused on: is educating your client through the entire process.
1: Yeah, and then I think afterwards, you know, the clients are thinking that an attorney is going to do their transaction and move on. And to the extent that you do something after. The representation, either a short note, I mean, like months later, like just to make sure that they remember you, you know, every now and then I send emails to past clients that have the potential for other immigration issues down the line or people that I like and care about. And I just check in on them. And I think that goes a long way.
2: You know, what? today, this is such a timely email actually to talk about. And I had no plans of actually talking about this. So I had coffee with a good friend of mine this morning, and I was telling actually telling him about this email. So after we get done with the case, we put them in a follow-up sequence asking for them to give us a review. And I'm going to read you the email that goes out to them. This is the third email in the sequence. So this means that they've ignored the first two emails asking for a review. And this is the third email. And I'm going to read her response to me. And so the subject line is, I'm sorry we didn't meet your expectations, which definitely grabs their attention. It's like, oh my gosh, he's, he's disappointed, right? And then says, client's name, I'm sorry we were not able to earn your review. Please let me know what we can do to earn your positive review next time. As a thank you for your feedback, I'll send you a $5 Amazon gift card. I reply to this email to let us know what we can do better. And then she emails me back and says, and this is not the first. This email works really, really well. She responds, Hello, Mr. Mutrix. I apologize. I have yet to write a review due to a very busy work schedule. I would like you and your staff to know that you went above and beyond my expectations. You made a very stressful situation seem like an easy process. I would absolutely recommend you to all friends and family members. If I ever needed further assistance, your office will be the first place I would call. And then she goes on. It's, it's a longer email. And she says, Hope all is well. She puts her name at the bottom. That's just a very simple way of – I stayed in front of her and it was automated. That's that's the power of automation. But I stayed in front of her. That campaign is a three-month campaign. So that's the last email she got from me. But – that's a one it's a way to get reviews positive reviews but it's also a way to, for me to stay in front of them and so i have no doubt in my mind that she's now one of my raving fans and so you have to constantly stay in front of them, especially your raving fans the raving fans are the ones you want to and that's the term that ben glass uses um hopefully he has not copyrighted or uh, trademarked that but you want to make sure you have those raving fans because they're the ones that are going to go out there
1: and refer you cases I don't think he came up with raving fans. I think it actually came from Jay Abraham. So or oh, okay. Dan Kennedy. So it's all good. I'm sure, You know, everyone's happy to share the love of a good idea. All right. I think we've come to the end of our time. And I also note that the guys across the street are getting ready to cut up the cement again. So we should probably finish up before it gets too loud in here.
2: We really talked for a long time and I did not realize how long we had talked for. So that's good. Yeah, I think there's some really good takeaways from this episode. So
1: I got a great hackings hack for you this week. It's not something that I've actually used, but... It is something that I think would be helpful for a lot of our listeners. So I came across a new blog through our friend Lee Rosen, and the blog is called Law Sites, S-I-T-E-S, blog.com, Law Sites. It's by an attorney named Robert Ambrosi, And the other day he put out a post about a new keyboard. So there's a new computer keyboard that's designed just for lawyers. And I'm sure Tyson, when you're working on briefs and things, that you're always struggling to find that Control Alt S to get the section symbol for a statute or a paragraph symbol for you know your briefs or your filings. And so this keyboard actually substitutes out your, you know, the the number pad on the right-hand side of a keyboard. It sort of has all the symbols that you need, and there's some some other F1 through F12 capabilities that allow you to format your briefs. There's a way to bounce back and forth into and out of footnotes really easily, and so it's called a legal board, and it's it, it debuted at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas this week, and if you go to legalkeyboards.com, you can get it. It costs $65. So I think that for people who have a heavy brief writing practice, which I do not anymore, thank God. But I think that some people would really enjoy or at least find it to be pretty functional.
2: It's really funny. I almost use that as my tip of the wig. I've read that and I don't know where I saw it. I don't know if you shared it. I thought I saw it somewhere else. I think it's really interesting. I think it could be really useful. Do you know if it, they have a Mac version or is it just PC?
1: I'm pretty sure it's just PC.
2: Okay. Well, I'll wait for the Mac version maybe, but it seems like it's pretty useful. And I mean, the things we need are different than the average consumer, I'd think. So sounds like it's a good idea. By the way, before I give my tip, I do want to let you know that I read the uh, Phil Knight book. I thought it was great. Shoe Dogs.
1: Wasn't it a roller coaster? No pun intended, seeing as you just got back from Disney World, but wasn't it just up and down, up and down?
2: It was. And he really just exposes vulnerabilities. And I I thought it was a great book. And I wouldn't really say if people are going to read it that they would get a bunch of takeaways on how to run a business, but it shows you that how a business that can start from such a small thing can turn into such a big thing it's an inspirational book i would say more than anything but i, I thought it was a great book so i'm, I'm glad you shared that with me I actually, I, I actually read it while i was on vacation so I, I appreciate that but my tip of the week is actually a book that is a little outside the norm i'd think but i got it from that book tools of titans and it's the book sapiens and it's a brief history of humankind it's by Yuval noah harari h-a-r-a-r-i it's a really cool book. It's a brief history of human gun. It really is. Starting from the very beginning to where we are now. I And I don't know if you've read that or not, but I just wanted to pass it along. I think it's a really cool book. So not, not practice-wise, is it really going to help you out? I don't know. Maybe not. But I think it's a really cool book to read.
1: I've been a little underwhelmed with Tools of Titans. It just seems like a lot of little blurbs and not, not a lot of substance.
2: I agree what I get out of it are tools that <laughs> are the tools that they use and then you have to then go and then look into those tools and see if you can use them in your practice so i agree with you i think that in his introduction he oversells the book and and what it is the way he sells it he says that these are the things i've learned over the years that helped me in my life yada 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 and not really true it's just them he interviews them and ask them questions and they give them give some answers and they put it in the book that's about it so i agree um i i kind of i sort of skim it i don't really read it in depth but i thought sapiens was a book that kept coming up and i i wanted to read it and i think it, i think it's a good book too so that's why that's why i wanted to pick that one but i agree with you tools of titans i wouldn't give it a really high score i think if i were to rate his book especially if you compare it against his other books i mean it's no comparison four hour work week is a far better book if you're going to spend money on a tim Ferriss book spend it on four hour work week and not tools of titans
1: all right buddy so we will talk to you next week absolutely i look forward to it see right. you jimmy